Welcome back to the McCann Dogs podcast. It is season two. Here I am. We uh, we took a bit of a break off, Shannon, from our uh, from our podcast, and we have moved into a podcast studio. We have a uh, a lot has changed since uh, since the last time we had a chat. But I'm excited to sit down with you again today, and uh, you know I look forward to uh, having more conversations. We have lots of great podcasts planned. We have lots of ideas for this week, and and today uh, we're going to be talking about the five most common dog training mistakes that people make. Now, Shannon, we need, there's been so much that's happened since we were podcasting last, including, you know, how things function at our facility. Um, Let's talk just for a moment about some of the changes, you know, that we've made as a a business and um, how excited we are to to be able to offer the the podcast again, as well as uh, for our online audience. Really quickly, let's go over our, our online offerings. Absolutely. So um, COVID has happened since our last podcast. And of course, that has affected the entire world and everything in it. So lots of changes, but lots of things that have changed to uh, help us grow as well. And as Ken mentioned, we have a lot of online offerings that have have really helped to uh, fill our days quite a bit because we had to shut down our in-house classes during the first, uh, first run of COVID. So we very quickly got a few more programs up online. We were we're already up and running, but we got a few more things up online so that we could help people all over the world. And very wonderful to say now that we are in over 50 countries. We've helped dogs in over 50 countries, and we are just going guns blazing. We've tallied to uh, having touched the lives of at least a million people through our YouTube channel, through our in-house program, and through our online training as well. So we're just, we've taken the opportunity and the time to get more and more content out there and to really build our online presence out as well. Yeah, and, and I thought I saw a stat somewhere over over the course of quarantine, lockdown and uh, the pandemic, I, something like 14 million homes welcomed a new family, four-legged family member into their home. So, you know, there are a lot of people out there who maybe they're first-time dog owners and they're trying to figure out the process. So, you know, the, the amount of people who, uh, uh, you know, have checked out our YouTube channel and, uh, um, you know, are, are following us on all our digital sources from all over the world has increased greatly. That's what uh, I'm, I'm excited about, reviving our podcast, having the opportunity to sit down and chat with you. And I know one of the most common things that, uh, that uh, you know, these, the new dog owners are struggling with is teaching their dogs to listen to them. Because I think there's just sort of this, um, you know, I don't know, preconceived notion that uh, because you feed the dog and you take care of the dog that it's that the poor that the dog's going to listen, and that isn't necessarily no. the case. It usually is not the case. Actually, we usually have to do a whole lot more intervening with things to get the dog to understand that. First off, it's valuable to listen to us, and second off, a lot of the times when we ask them to listen, it's contrary to their nature and it's contrary to their instinct. So we need to take the time to actually teach them to perform things differently than their instincts tell them to do. That's such an important thing, and often that's what gets skipped. One of it, it, I know I have uh, some points in front of me and Shannon doesn't have them. And, and appropriately enough, when you talk about taking the time uh, to, to do these things, timing is the first point uh, on my list. And I know that so, uh, so often people 
get the sense that when they use food in training, which we use food uh, a, a lot in the first uh, you know, section of your dog's training to, to teach them how to listen because it's a, it's a resource that they value. It's something they understand is valuable. It's also really an effective way to get their attention you know, in an environment where there are all sorts of other things. However, people can quickly become dependent on the food if they don't have the right timing. And um, let's start off there, you know, how people become quickly dependent on food when they want their dog to listen. Yeah, that happens a lot. And it happens, I think, because people will try to test their dogs before they are ready for that test. So a lot of the times, for example, you know, if you ask your dog to sit and they don't understand how to sit yet – A lot of people might at that point pull out food and then it becomes a bribe. So rather than resorting to bringing in the food after we've tried the test, what we want to do is we want to use the food effectively to our advantage first. So we're going to take food to show the dog what we want them to do. So again, in the example of sit, I'm going to use a food lure to just gently guide my dog by having that food on his nose, raising it up a little bit. When the head comes up, the rear goes down. So that's the first thing I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it without giving the sit command because essentially what I'm doing when I create a cue or a command system for my dog is I'm creating an association. They do not speak English. They do not speak other than a quick little bark or bork noise. They do not communicate verbally. They communicate through body language. So we can take advantage of that by using body language to show first. And then once my dog understands quickly and easily how to get into the sit position, that's when I'm going to start to associate a command with it. So I don't want to name it until it's actually a thing for the dog. So once I can identify it, I will start to add a verbal cue in and then follow through with the lure. And here's the thing with food. When I'm using a lure, I want to wean off of that very quickly. So I might spend, you know, the first training session working with the lure to show my dog how to get into that sit. And then the next training session, I might warm up with the lure. But then very quickly, what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave the food in my pocket or my bait pouch so it's not part of the lure anymore. I'm going to make sure that my signal looks exactly the same as it did with food. So I don't want to telegraph that it's a different thing once I remove the food from my hand. I want to make sure it's still the exact same lure just without the food present there. And that's that's often one of the biggest challenges that people will have is how do I make this look the same? You know, my dog listens when I have food, but it's because they're holding a treat in the first instance. And in the second, they're pointing their finger or their hands are on their waist. Yeah, absolutely. So be really conscious of what your signal looks like, both with food and without, so that when you take the food out, it is no different for the dog. And here's the thing about dogs. They want to do the right thing. Dogs do what's rewarding. We've said that a million times and we're back in season two of the podcast and I'm glad it came up early. Dogs do what's rewarding. They want to do the right thing. So if you set it up properly where, you know, your your second training session, you're warming up with the lure and then trying an identical signal without the food there, chances are your dog is going to be successful because they're in tuned and they know what you're looking for. And from there, what you can do is mark it And we use a short, sharp yes to mark things. You can use a clicker. You can use any number of words. You know, some people will even mouth click these days just with the little little that sort of noise. So what we want to do is mark what we like so that that tells the dog you've earned a reward. And that allows us the time to then reach into our pocket and follow through with that reinforcement. What we don't want to do is take away the reward entirely right away. The dog is still learning. We still haven't coupled a cue with things. But we want to make it come after the behavior has been performed so that the dog is not reliant on seeing the food in order to perform that sit. 
Yeah. In, you mentioned uh, briefly like making the mouth click sound and people will sometimes ask, well, is the yes the same as the clicker? It is, in fact, uh, but it's always with you. It's something that you always have. And when you're training a puppy, for example, you want to always be ready for that moment when they make a great choice. And that's why, you know, really sh- teaching them that marker word early that yes means you're doing something absolutely correctly is really, really important. Definitely. Now, uh, we talked a little bit about the behaviors that we want when Mm -hmm. it comes to timing, but we also need to talk about the behaviors that we don't want, the nuisance behaviors, you know, the the things that puppy owners often struggle with. Um, Timing is just as important in those situations as well. Let's talk about the timing that's required, uh, for example, catching your dog in the act of something. And there's actually value there tremendous value. You know, we don't only want to teach our dogs that they're right when they're right. We also need to help guide their behavior when they're wrong. And that's not to say that we're going to make a huge deal and really get after them. We're not trying to intimidate them, but we do want to point out when they make mistakes and we want to help redirect their behavior from there. So as an example, if you caught your puppy peeing in the house and and in the perfect situation is that you are there watching your puppy, eyes on, and the second they start to squat, you can very quickly mark with an oops or a hey, and then scoop them up and run them outside. So right away, they've gotten information from that. They've been told that that's not a desirable thing. They have then been given direction of where they should perform that desirable thing. So having that moment where you say, oops, that's wrong, is so, so important. And you've probably heard the old adage that you have to catch them in the act of things, that is so important, either in the act or within one second of the event occurring. After that, it just starts to get obscured in in time. Uh, dogs don't think for a long-term timeline like we do. They think within the, within the moment, within the second. That's why it's so, so important to catch them in the act of those things. And when you have a young dog, you're best to make sure that you're managing them when you can't supervise them. And that means using crates and using confinement so that they can't get into mischief and you don't have, they don't have those opportunities to make mistakes, pee on the floor where nobody's in the room and then they don't get information from it and that becomes ritualized and it becomes a habit where they're going to pee as soon as you leave the room because that's the safe time to pee for them. So we want to make sure that we can, oops, catch them in the act as soon as they are doing something they shouldn't, whether that is, you know, paying attention to something they shouldn't, whether it's scratching at the floor or digging at the carpet or, you know, chewing on the couch. Anything undesirable, we need to make sure that we're there to say, oops, hey, that's wrong. Take away the self-reward from the dog and give them something appropriate to do instead. Yeah, and that being one of the biggest mistakes that people make, and I think sort of to summarize briefly, uh, it, it is the uh, how important timing is. The amount of people that have reached out to us saying, you know, I, I'm struggling with potty training, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to. But it, when my puppy goes outside, has a pee, comes back in, they still pee on the floor. Well, I mean, the, the timing is so important in that moment. That is part of the training. You know, as much as it is your schedule or anything else, catching your dog, making that mistake is so important. And the big mistake that people make is just not really understanding how important that timing is in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want this to turn into a house training episode, but that does happen a lot where people will scoop the puppy out, bring them outside, they forget they have to go, and then they bring them back in the house, they put them down for freedom, and the puppy then has an accident in the house. And you think, well, that didn't work out. So if that happens, if you bring your puppy outside and they forget that they've had to go pee, bring them back in, tuck them in the crate for five minutes, not as punishment, but just so that they can remember that they have to go. It just works up the need again. And then after that five or 10 minutes, you can scoop them up, bring them straight outside, encourage them to go. And if you get the pee at that point, now they can have some freedom in the house. But don't don't let them have the freedom until you know they've voided. 
You mentioned uh, early on it, uh, about the dogs will do what's rewarding. And that's something that as dog trainers, we see every single day. And you can see the, the little mistakes that, tra- that people might make when they're training their dog. Um, and, and, you know, they, they really become uh, challenging when you, the owner hasn't shown the dog that they're valuable, that they're worth listening to. And the other mistake that people make, the second mistake that people make is not really understanding what's valuable to their dog. Let's talk for a moment about how to show your dog that you're uh, worth listening to and why your dog understanding that you are valuable is so important when you get out into the real world. Absolutely. When we train dogs, we do it in a certain order. What we want to do is first take the time to teach them what it is we want them to do. And we do that without any distractions present. Those are the initial phases of our training because we don't want to have to compete with anything for our dog's attention. So I always say the empty white room is where you're going to start your training. So I wouldn't start, if you think about going to the park and trying to train your dog to sit or stay or walk nicely at your side when there's all sorts of things going on. There might be other dogs there, there might be people, or there might be traffic out on the street. You know, all those things are going to compete for your dog's attention. And in that situation, I always liken it to the idea of trying to learn calculus when you're on a roller coaster. You know, if I go to Disney World or Canada's Wonderland, which is probably more realistic for us, (laughs) I am not going to be learning anything in that situation. Because the adrenaline and the excitement and all of the visual stimulation cotton and the candy. Med- ex- cotton candy, just that <laughs> alone. I mean, I'm done. Forget it. We definitely, we need to give the dogs the opportunity to learn outside of the amusement park first. And the easiest spot to learn, this is why we all go to classrooms and sit quietly at our desk when we're learning math. The easiest spot to learn is that empty white room so that we can teach our dogs first with their full attention. Once my dog clearly understands how to sit nicely in that white room, I might add a little distraction to the room. I'm not going to go from my empty house to the amusement park. I need to bridge that gap. So I'm going to start in the cool, calm, empty room, and then I might add a distraction once my dog has mastered the skill. So I might add a little container of food with some holes in the lid so they can smell that food, but they can't necessarily get to it. And I might practice my sit work from there. And then I might add a toy to the room. And then I might bring a person into the room, but that person might just stand completely still and boring. You know, that's going to be enough of a distraction for my dog. And little bit by bit, I'm going to expose my dog to different stimulus out there and different competing motivators. And he is going to learn that ignoring those distractions is far more valuable to him because I have all the good things that he wants. And that's what's going to allow me to then go out in society, go out into locations where there's distractions and continue to build systematically on that and get my dog to the point where he can listen and sit even when there's three other dogs running circles around us. It's a piece of cake because I've built it up slowly over time. What happens, unfortunately, in a lot of cases is we put the cart before the horse, though. We think, okay, I've got this puppy and I need to expose him to the the world. So we go out and then we we basically teach the dog that paying attention to other things is more valuable because they don't understand any of the skills that we're asking them to do yet. So try your best not to. I, there's definitely going to be times when you need to go out with your dog. They're going to be exposed to other things. And those are the times that should be fewer and further between. The majority of the time, it should be sort of a systematic outing that you've planned. You know, you've got your good pocket full of treats. You've got your plan for what you're going to do. It might just be doing doing some walking on lead up and down the driveway. You know, you might not even be able to get out on your sidewalk yet. But if you can master walking on lead on the driveway, then you can start to add a little bit of sidewalk work. Then you can start to go around the block, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to your dog being exposed to the distraction, 
friends being excited, rehearsing, pulling and lunging, etc., and then trying to come back from that, so much more work. So much more work to do it that way. And uh, this moves us nicely into our next point. And uh, one of the mistakes that people make is they, they don't say what they mean. And they're in those situations, they're testing versus training. And the dog you know, has an opportunity to choose all of these other things. And the dog owner doesn't really show the dog what they want. Um, let's talk about this, the idea of say what you mean. And this is something that people, I think, really do struggle with. They get their dog into a situation where it's overwhelming mm -hmm. and uh, they get frustrated with it or they think, oh, you know, I, I, he's not listening. I don't know what to do. Um, but there are some really simple ways. Again, we'll lean, uh, touch back on the idea of value. But there are some really simple ways to show your dog that you are more valuable in these situations. So let's talk about uh, how we think it's so important to say what you mean in dog training. Absolutely. And that is part of having a plan, having a follow through in mind so that, for example, if you're at a, if you have started to up the level of distractions and you're out about and you run into another dog that's, you know, 20 feet away and your dog is distracted by that dog, but not over threshold, you know, not at the point where they're lunging and barking and way too excited about anything to learn. When we're in this situation, chances are because that distraction is there, if you were just to say sit, your dog would very likely ignore that cue because they're distracted, because they're not focused on you. So first we need to define what a test is. And the test would be calling your dog's name there or saying sit since that's what we were talking about, saying sit and expecting your dog to simply follow through with that sit in that situation. Rather than that, I am going to, if I do test, I'm going to be ready very quickly to follow through by making it happen if my dog fails the test. And I think that you need to decide for yourself whether your dog is ready for the test in that situation or not. Every dog is a little bit different, but I'm going to decide with my own dog if I think there's a chance he's going to get it right, I might test. But if I think that overwhelmingly, you know, 50% or more, there's a chance that he's going to get it wrong, I am not going to test in that situation. And actually, my criteria is pretty high. I keep my expectations pretty high. So I would say if I even thought 15% that there was a chance that my dog would fail that test, I'm probably not going to test there. I'm going to say sit and then I'm going to follow through with an automatic placement so that there's no chance that my dog can get that wrong. But but it's okay if you are wrong. I mean, you don't mm -hmm. want to be, but what you do next when you're wrong is really what what's so important about saying what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that I'm not going to do in that situation is then test again. So if my dog needed that automatic placement or needed help, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to pet him. I'm going to tell him he's wonderful. I'm going to save the cookies for when he works a little bit harder for me. And I might change something in that situation. So as an example, I might move. I was 20 feet from that dog distraction. I might move another five feet away so that my dog has more of a fighting chance. I might call his name first so that I've got his attention on me and then I can ask for the sit from there. That might be a test as well. So what is crucial in dog training is not allowing the dog to think that ignoring you in any situation is an okay thing to do. So if I were to say sit, get nothing and then go, oh darn, he didn't do it. He failed. My dog has just learned that it's an option to ignore that sit command. So I don't need to be rough about making him sit. I don't need to be physically unhappy with him or emotionally unhappy with him. I simply need to follow through and say, you know what, buddy? It's not an option for you to not sit. I know that you're focused on that dog over there, but 
You got to sit when I tell you to sit. And in the dog's mind, this is what you have to understand. There's absolutely no difference between ignoring a sit command and ignoring a come command. There's no real understanding in their mind if ignoring that come command is just going to be an inconvenience because they're sniffing or if it's going to be something more dangerous out on the road chasing a squirrel. So we need to say what we mean and mean what we say with all of our commands if we're to expect our dogs to listen when it really counts. Yeah, and, and, you know... I think objectively, you know, the really good, the people that are really good at training their dog identify these problems. They don't get emotional about it. They identify it as an opportunity to train. And the next step is they set their dogs up to be right. I see so many people struggling with this thing. My dog won't leave, you know, won't whatever, won't stop uh, picking up the grass chunks or uh, they're constantly distracted by this, whatever, whatever the thing is. And they don't identify that. They don't make it easier for the dog. They just try over and over again, regardless of what redirection, what action you take next. The most important part is you as a human figuring out how am I going to make my dog successful? How am I going to, how am I going to set myself up for, uh, for an opportunity to reward my dog? Absolutely. One of the tactics I recommend to students, our online students and our in-house students all the time, is keep a scratch pad type of journal. So every single training session that I do with a young dog, as soon as I get home or as soon as I get to a point where I'm no longer focused on them and I can make some notes, I usually do it in my phone. I will make quick notes in my phone about how that training session went. And as an example, if I note, if I noted that I couldn't get a sit with dogs at 25 feet or 20 feet, I'm going to make note of that so that the next training session, I can plan for that and I can set up so that there are potential for distractions, but they're not going to be in that overwhelming situation. So my likelihood of succeeding with my dog is so much greater. But I'm also going to make sure that I have that plan in mind so that if there is another test that is not successful, I have the backup plan there and I can make things happen. Yeah, you really, you know, I can, you can identify the students who come into classes or the students who are online that um, are really great leaders for their dog and they say what they mean and they're, they're not angry about it. They, they, they understand that they need to be a, a, you know, a great, great leader, great, give their dog great guidance. And those people progress more quickly. The dogs are mo- more motivated to listen, more motivated to work. And in an unusual situation where there's maybe a new distraction that's uh, presented, those dogs are way more likely to make the right choice because yeah. that, that hand, that owner has taught their dog that choosing me in in unusual situations, choosing me more often is is valuable. Absolutely. And figure out what your dog loves in terms of rewards, because that's what you're going to have to build that value. And it doesn't have to be food. It can be food. It can be toys. It can be butt scratches. It can be ear scratches. It can be running. I've used water, you know, bodies of water or puddles, etc. as a huge reward for, for one of my young dogs who was obsessed with water. I used it to my advantage. Figure out what your dog really likes and you make sure it's not just what you like. A lot of the times we go to the things that we I, think. I love this point. Yeah. A lot of the times we go to the things that we like and our dogs, if they don't like them, that becomes an aversive for them. So for example, with Ned, um, I'm sure I've told this story before because it's one of my go-tos. He does not like having his head pet. You know, he tolerates it because he's a sweet dog and we've done tons of handling and he's he's very well managed, et cetera, et cetera. But when I touch his head, you can just see that ever so slight, his ears go back a little bit. He kind of ducks to get out of the way. It's not a thing that he enjoys. So even though I might like, t- like touching his head and I might think that that seems like a logical reward for my dog, if he doesn't like it, it becomes a 
coercive. So I need to find the things that he does like. So uh, uh, as a, a contrary reward for him, I will do butt scratches because he absolutely loves butt scratches. And that becomes a reinforcing valuable thing for him. So then when I couple that with response to name, for example, that response to name takes on the value that those butt scratches or the food or the toys or the play would have. So make sure that you develop a reward system and use that to help your dog see the value in you. Yeah. And I think that's sort of something that uh, for our listeners, if you're listening right now, uh, I really want you to think about what do I, what, do, what do I see my dog being most gratified by? Is it the butt scratches? Is it a specific food reward? Maybe it's a tug toy. You know, what is that thing? And then write it down and mm-hmm. save that uh, extremely gratifying reward for those really great performances, you know, for those, uh, for that recall that you're working at a great distance, because those are the skills that you really want to reinforce for your dog. Absolutely. Um, Now, I need to take a moment just to talk about the fact that our Puppy Essentials and our life skills are our two online programs, Puppy Essentials for Dogs Under 5 Months and uh, Life Skills for Dogs Over 5 Months. And we get so many amazing uh, students that uh, send us these um, wonderful messages. Uh, And I want to just read one of them from uh, a recent review. This one comes from Katie, a life skills student. She says, I adopted Raven a month ago from the Korean dog meat trade. And when I got her, she couldn't even walk down the street if there was another dog within three blocks. The McCann method has given her the tools to not only be a great companion to me during an incredibly difficult time in my life, but a fantastic dog partner in crime who is gaining more confidence by the day. I am truly grateful for the tools your trainers have given me uh, for training uh, a loving companion. And I hope others find the same success with their own dog's best, Katie. Uh, we want to thank you, Katie, for sending us that amazing message. And um, I want to mention to all of our listeners that we have links in the show notes below. If you're uh, looking for guidance from a professional dog trainer, if you've tried all of these things, maybe online learning, and they just they just didn't seem to make sense, our, our McCann uh, Dogs programs really give you an opportunity to communicate with a professional dog trainer. And I think that's what the majority of online programs are lacking these days. You know, we have our staff that uh, that is uh, you know, helping it with our Facebook group answering emails, going over video reviews, weekly coaching calls. And um, I have really, you know, even I was a little skeptical about how how impactful can an online dog training program be. And boy, was I wrong seeing some of the success in those programs. You know, I can't help but smile uh, when when I think about some of the some some of the big wins. And and we have weekly wins Wednesday or Wednesday wins. Wednesday wins every week. Oh, so awesome to see that from from people from all over the world, which is really, really exciting. Absolutely. It's amazing. And I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, if you if you rewind life several years back to when we were first building life skills, you know, in the early days, trying yeah. to figure out how to make sure everybody got enough information. And then when we came up with the support model that we did, it just it fell into place and clicked beautifully. Because like Ken said, we have daily Q&A six days a week. We have almost a 24 hour post on six days of the week, where you can ask your daily questions. We have weekly Zoom calls where we talk about specific learning and, you know, more supplemental content to what is already being learned through the actual program itself. We have rapid fire Q&A hours where you're where you're um, able to ask questions of an instructor within that hour and get immediate feedback as well as the daily Q&A, as well as the uh, email support, which you get a turnaround within 24 hours. I mean, there's no shortage of ways to get feedback and support from our team of instructors. So check out the links in the show notes below if that's something that you are interested in or if you have a dog that needs some training because we can help you out. Now, uh, 
One of the we, we touched on it a couple times, but we, you talked about some natural training opportunities, and uh, I think missing these natural training opportunities in your day to day with your dog is a real mistake. And that this is this is a big reason why dog trainers' dogs seem to uh, get skills more quickly, why they listen uh, faster, because dog trainers uh, specifically see everything as a training opportunity. And let's talk a little bit about some of how you get from teaching a dog to sit in that white room to uh, teaching your dog to sit at the park with all, all sorts of uh, things around in the natural training opportunities that you might have in your day-to-day to reinforce that skill. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a very powerful thing. I mean, if you think about things in your life that you have you know, struggled to come to a conclusion with and then come to your own conclusion about, you've figured out your own processes and made everything make sense to you, that's the same sort of reinforcement that the dog gets when they figure something out on their own. So for example, um, we're constantly rewarding our dogs for offering us attention in situations where there's both distractions and not distractions. We're constantly acknowledging that choice from the dog. And people always ask us, how do you get your dogs to stare at you so much? Like they just don't take their eyes off you. We'll be teaching classes and there will be 10 other dogs in the room, you know, outside of COVID time. There'll be 10 other dogs and 10 other people in the room and people running all over the place and dogs running all over the place. And there's so much going on. And our dogs, if they're demoing, will just be staring straight at us and ignoring all those distractions. And that's because from day one, we look for opportunities to reward behaviors that we like. So for example, if uh, I've got a young puppy and there is a slight distraction out at the end of my driveway and I'm working on something simple, I'm working on sits or downs as an example, and a little distraction goes by and my dog ignores that distraction and sits, I might take that opportunity to say, yes, you are so smart. That's a great choice and I'm going to reward that. And my dog making that realization that I control my own behavior And if I make a choice, it might result in a reward. That is such a powerful thing. And that's a really small scale to talk about it on. So as an example, you know, that sit or just starting in a white room and your dog giving you attention, looking up at you, and you acknowledging that thing. It is a very tiny step. But if you build on that step and now you add the small distraction to the room of that little tin of food or the toy and you reward, we call it voluntary attention, and you reward them for volunteering to give you attention, now you can continue to add those distractions. And as much as possible in your day-to-day life, when you're not actually training, I uh, we we uh, I just did air quotes. I, I'm aware that we're, we're not uh, on video. So well, I did in just fact, do... we are. So if you... <laughs> If you are oh, listening right. here and you'd like to watch, we do have a McCann Dogs YouTube channel. So Shannon has, if you're watching that, you'll see Shannon's air quotes. Otherwise, you, you might not see them. <laughs> you might have missed them. But I do that because there is no training mode. Abolish the idea of training mode. Your dog is learning every single second that they are awake in the day. So they are always in training mode and we need to capture the things that we like. So as an example, if I walk out my front door with my dog to go for a walk and my dog decides to keep that leash loose as I'm locking the front door, that's a great thing to acknowledge from my dog. I also am going to have other means of teaching him to keep a loose leash, but that is a great moment to acknowledge that that dog made a good choice. And what happens is the likelihood of that choice being made again increases because dogs do what's rewarding. So the next time I go out the front door, my dog is probably going to turn and look at me and say, oh, do I get a cookie this time? Because last time I got a cookie for key- for hanging out with you and not, right. you know, lunging off the front porch and pulling you down sort of thing. So take those opportunities. Whenever you see something you like in your day-to-day life, 
rewarded. And also try as much as possible to set yourself up so that you do get those offered opportunities. Right. Yeah. I think a couple of um, instances I can think of uh, right now, we have a puppy. If you if you follow us on our YouTube channel, you'll know that we are uh, we have a puppy in our home right now. Um, her name is Euchre. She's about 17 weeks old now, but we documented from the day that we brought her home, the day we picked her up. Um, we've had a series on the channel about that. But a, you know, a couple of things that immediately spring to mind when I talk, when I talk about natural training opportunities are some pretty simple things, but they really reinforce leadership. And she's a wild little thing. You know, she's such an adorable, sweet little dog, but there's a lot of dog in there. So a couple of things that I have done is uh, simply letting her out of the crate. You know, I, she needs to wait until I tell her, okay, until she comes out of the crate. And I, I'm, you know, I'm just, I know that she wants to come out of the crate. I want her to come out of the crate, but I'm controlling the situation enough to use it as a natural training opportunity. And she starts to learn what okay means. She starts to learn that um, she needs to listen. Another example is taking her out, out the door for to going to go outside to go for a play or a walk or whatever, you know, I'll ask her to sit while I open the door. And, um, you know, there's some, uh, an old thought that, uh, you need to be an alpha and you need the dog, you walk through the door first cause you're the, you're the alpha, the powerful one. And that's completely ridiculous. But the opportunity to teach your dog that, uh, you, they need to listen, that they'll get something that they want if they work just a little bit for you is a great way to use natural training opportunities in your day. And it's something that you can now, you know, I'll open the door of her crate and she just waits. And I say, okay, and she can come out. I go to the door. We go, we're going to go outside and play or do whatever. She'll sit and I can put her leash on. I mean, these are very, the utility of this skill is hot, is great. Absolutely. But also the opportunity to reinforce myself as a leader for her teaches her that I'm worth listening to, that uh, as a default, she can look to me for information. Yeah. And it also teaches her how to be mindful. So rather than having this situation, and this is going to help through your whole walk, if you start your walk with this chaotic energy coming out of the dog where you open the door and they go flying out and then you try your best to close the door and then you're being dragged out, the whole walk is going to to take that same tone as opposed to if you ask for the sit first or reward the natural sit open the door, praise the dog for calmly being mindful and not just rushing out through, get yourself gathered up and then give them a release and give them some extra information if you need to. So if I have a young puppy and they're not ready to offer nice things yet, I'm going to help them and I'm going to I'm going to ask them for something that I want. For example, I might, in Euchre's case, because she's still a baby puppy, I might tell her, okay, walk her out the door, but then call her right away, Euchre, ask for the sit, then I can turn around, I can reward her for sitting, I can close my door, she can be mindful again, and then I can give her more direction from there. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about um, some very specific questions and comments that uh, we've seen in our live streams or on our YouTube channel where people say, from the moment I step outside the door, my dog's pulling. There's nothing I can yeah. do. I can't get them uh, to pay att any attention to me. And the, the point that Shannon just made is going to be so valuable for those of you who struggle with walking on leash. You know, these natural training opportunities, maybe it's two steps uh, onto your driveway. Maybe it's getting to the lobby of your apartment building. Whatever your training situation is, reinforcing that mindfulness and those listening skills and are, are so valuable that it gets you started in the right place. It gets that walk, you know, started with a little bit of attention in your dog listening. And it starts with you having an opportunity to reward your dog. Now, when we talk about skills like walking uh, on leisure, whatever, whatever the skill is, an important part of that and something that people often overlook is proofing. The value of proofing a skill. 
Um, let's talk a little bit about what, what proofing means uh, to you and, and how our listeners can apply it. Yeah, you bet. Proofing is my favorite thing. I, I'm I'm a very linear thinker, so it allows me to make my lists and check things off my lists. So proofing is what cements the concept for your dog. So teaching is the first step of anything. Then we're going to proof it. So I am going to teach my dog to sit in that white padded room. Now I'm going to see that my dog can sit when the white padded room has a bunch of treats in the corner. Now I'm going to see if my dog can sit on the driveway. And all the time I've got my backup plan in place so that if they can't do it, I can follow through with the placement as an example. But proofing is what allows me to tell my dog that he's made the right choice over and over and over and over again until that becomes so habitualized that it's second nature for him to just give me that choice without even me necessarily asking for it. So in order to get that, what I need to do is I need to help him get get it right when there is distraction out on the street. I need to help him get it right when there's other dogs about. I need to help him get it right in the vet clinic. I need to help him get it right at all the different places that I go by working through those distractions. And I really like the word systematic for that because it, it, it explains exactly what you need to do. It's not, you know, a leap of faith all over the place. It is systematically helping your dog perform the skill that you've asked them to perform as the distractions get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, it, we often talk about how dogs are so situational and reinforcing that their name means the same thing regardless of the location is really important. You know, the, that leave it means the same thing regardless of whether it is a pile of treats on the floor or a car passing by. These are the opportunities uh, when you're thinking about proofing. You know, uh, Shannon mentioned her, like a little logbook earlier or, you know, a little working, a list of things that you need to work on. Proofing is what you're going to do when you can identify some of these challenges that your dog might have. You're going to work on these skills and help your dog to be successful in these specific scenarios because dogs are so terribly situational. Yeah, absolutely. But once you've trained through that situation a few times, they will start to generalize it. They don't generalize like we do. Whereas, you know, I can get inside a car and drive that car. Then I can get inside a truck. I can drive that truck. Dogs think a little bit differently. They are going to need a couple of repetitions over lots of different environments before they can start to generalize those behaviors. So very important to give them enough repetition and enough opportunity to learn those things as well. Now, I I love the uh, conversation that we've had today. Um, I'm excited for the rest of our season uh, as we work our way towards uh, more podcasts. We are going to have a couple of interesting guests. We have a couple of people that we've talked to about doing a podcast with us. And um, I hope you've been able, as a listener, been able to take some value from the five most common mistakes, dog training mistakes that people make. And you're able to, what what I want from this podcast is for people to be able to take this information and immediately apply it to their dog. You know, we really, we're trying to sort of hit that mark of information that you can practice while you're listening. Practice, uh, you know, after you've uh, you finished your whatever your your drive home uh, and you're listening to the podcast but if this is your first time here on uh, our podcast make sure you hit that follow subscribe button wherever you are and um, check out the link in the show notes below if you're interested in hanging out with us more you know on a daily basis in our puppy essentials for dogs under five months or our life skills program and shannon i want to thank you for joining me today thank uh, you i'm, I'm uh, excited to be back uh, here in the uh, doing our podcast and i uh, can't wait to record some more I know. We'll get right to it. Thanks, everybody. Bye for now, guys.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of the McCann Dogs podcast. And if you'd like some more training resources, be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at McCann Dogs. And if you'd like to train with us online, be sure to check out the show notes below for our My Dog Can online training program, where we know in just a few weeks, your dog will become a well-behaved family member. Until then, happy training.